I know for sure that in my family and in my partner's families, there have been more hurt feelings over not talking about it than talking about it. Families, are they want to know what's going on for us. Yeah. And they just mostly want to know that we're happy and content and safe. So I think in retrospect, if I did it all over again, I would withhold less from my family. You're listening to This Polyamorous Life, collecting stories of the struggles and triumphs of non-monogamous people wherever I find them. I'm Reg. This week, I'm playing you a talk I had with Joy. Joy has been polyamorous for over 30 years. She became aware of her non-monogamous inclinations when she was 17 years old. Since then, she has raised two children and moved to Windsor to live with her wife and her other nesting partner. We talked at her house in Windsor. Okay, my name is Joy, and I practice, I just think of it as polyamory. I mean, it's, it's, um, we are open and honest about our interactions with other people, Mm -hmm. and we deal with problems that come up. And we are all at liberty to to take new lovers if we like. And um, but right now in my household, I'm living with uh, my wife and my uh, the man I've had a long term relationship with for about twelve years. Mm-hmm. I've been married since 2017 to her. Congratulations! Thank you. Mm-hmm. What was, what, what is your beginning story? Like, what is your origin well, story? Well, I have a very, I have a, I have a very clear story. I was 14 years old when I had my first boyfriend and I was at a Catholic school and, um, I was just, just adored him and we were very much in love. And after we'd been dating for about a year and a half, one of my girlfriends told me that he had been kissing another girl at a party. <gasps> and I, I remember like I was 15 years old and I'm, sitting on the bed and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is like an adult kind of situation Mm -hmm. and I got to get really upset about this. I got to like, somehow I have to, this has to really bother me that he was kissing another girl or may have been kissing, you know, somebody told me he was kissing another girl. And I remember sitting there thinking, I must not be feeling jealous about this because like my brain's not mature yet. Mm. So, because I didn't care, mm-hmm. um, he was. I was told Therese, my friend, told me he was kissing a girl named Brenda, and I knew that Tim, my boyfriend, really liked Brenda. And and the thought of them being at a party together and getting a chance to kiss each other, I thought, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any negative feelings about it. So I was trying to work myself up into getting angry at him or, or whatever. And ultimately what I did was, uh, tell him, I said, Tim, look, if you're going to kiss somebody else at a party, I want to know about it. So I don't hear about it from our friends. And he was like, no, 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 I wasn't. I, I, nothing like that happened. And I'm like, it's fine. If it did, I, I'm fine with that. So he denied it completely forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if the girl was just making it up. I don't know what mm-hmm. the truth of the uh-huh. matter was. But I remember at that really early time, knowing that my emotional reaction was different. And mm-hmm. because I was so young, I was just 15, I mm-hmm. thought I thought it would change over time. It never did. Mm-hmm. Like, it never did. And that, that caused some problems because, uh, I don't know if... 
fast forward a couple of years, I had a different boyfriend and Mm -hmm. I was at a party and he wasn't there and I was kissing one of his friends and my boyfriend was upset. (laughs) And I was like, but Tom, we really both like Jeff. He's a wonderful guy. And Tom said, well, how would you feel if I was kissing Jeff's girlfriend? I said, that would be great. (laughs) And he's like, what is... What is going on with you? So, like, yeah. I, I also feel really grateful that the you know we were teenagers then, you know, uh, and, but that no one was cruel, no one was horrible to me. Like it, that boyfriend was like, that's just so strange, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I learned through time and experience, and you know, ran through a few relationships that most people have this a real problem with non monogamy or with having intimate interactions with other people when you're dating one person. Mm-hmm. And then, then I met this woman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I was uh, 16 or 17 when I met her and she was married. Okay. Uh, she was about, she was in her mid twenties. Okay. And her husband was a couple of years older than her. So, we, you know, we were young adults and they were poly and okay. they introduced me to the concept of polyamory um, and it was like, ah, oh, I found my people. You know? Yeah. Where, whereabouts was this? I'm trying to... I was in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. I was in the Toledo area. So, okay. Um, that's where I met the folks that introduced me to the idea. And mostly, um, it was through the pagan communities. Okay. And, uh, in Mensa, which I don't know if it's still <laughs> around, but there were, there were, Mensa tolerates a level of, um, Nonconformity that a lot of organizations do not. Yeah. Larger deviation from the larger, mean. yes, exactly. A larger Which, deviation from the mean in a lot of directions. Uh, and then, and then I find that pagan community is very accepting as well. And we were all involved in the Church of All Worlds when it existed. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's sort of that's the basic outline of my origin story. So I, I all I figured out pretty early, and I feel really grateful that I did. That there is this thing called polyamory, mm-hmm. and as soon as I learned about it, I'm like, that's that's what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never went back. So I've always identified as polyamorous since my teenage years. And there was a period of time, a couple of different occasions, when I tried to be monogamous, and it just did not work well. Mm-hmm. And I stopped doing that. I'd say by my mid twenties. Yeah, it's interesting just what you're talking about as a teenager. Um, it seemed almost like you had to do like a performative monogamy or you felt this, this urge. Cause I, I kind of recognize that sort of a feeling with certain aspects of like masculinity and stuff. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, when, when someone insults me or calls me a coward, like when I was younger, Right. If someone calls me a coward, right, there's this whole, I'm not a chicken. Right, right. You're thing. supposed to be mad. Yeah. 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 Where, at, you know, it's at a certain point I was like, no, no, no. I don't see the, like, like this big idea of like, oh, you must be this super tough guy. It's just like, no, that sounds dangerous and stupid. <laughs> right, right. And, and you didn't feel enraged. If somebody, insulted your masculinity not, you didn't have a rage response <laughs> yeah so certainly not about that that stuff i mean yeah. you know I, I, everybody has their triggers but yeah, yeah. but yeah yeah like that that whole thing and and so it's it's interesting it just seems like there like you felt that pressure to perform a certain way right 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 and then when you weren't feeling that you were like what's wrong with me when right, really right. it's like 
no, like the you found the real answer pretty quickly. Of oh, that's just not that's just not me. You mentioned the the Church of All Worlds. Uh-huh. Tell me more. What is that? What is the Church of All Worlds? Yeah, what is the Church of All Worlds? Uh, the Church of All Worlds was a, an actual pagan church that formed based on the writings of Robert Heinlein mm-hmm. from Stranger in a Strange Land. I think it formed in the 70s. It uh, was Oberon and Morning Glory, Zell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was neo-paganism. It really isn't didn't stay true to the books of Robert Heinlein. No. They just stirred in a bunch of other, you know, ancient <laughs> pagan religions that yeah. they kind of made it up as they went along. But I appreciate one thing I liked about it is it was, even though it was sort of tongue in cheek, yes, it was also, there was a very genuine feeling of community and acceptance there mm-hmm. that I enjoyed. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I mean, from, cause I read stranger in a strange land and I think, like that is kind of being true as as well because at least it felt like the um I can't remember the main character Michael yeah and yeah. Michael Valentine yeah Michael right? Valentine yeah Michael Valentine um basically made up a religion a whole cloth and and it was yeah like a certain point where it was kind of like let's see how much stuff we can put in this right kind of makes makes kind of sense for sure and then he wrote another one time enough for love where he started to describe line marriages and Mm. um larger households of people who were committed and still in erotic community and Mm -hmm. i thought that's great i would love to do that and as i got older you know as a practical matter these things are way harder than they are in fiction novels Mm -hmm. um but I, I, I'm very happy with the people I've known over the years. And, and I think one of the very sweet things now that I'm getting older, I'm 50 now. Mm-hmm. And I've, there are lovers that I've seen occasionally every few years for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been close and kept each other updated as we've married or had children or changed jobs and moved from place to place. And I really feel like one, dividend that I wouldn't have anticipated in my 20s is that I know some people really, really well and trust them implicitly um, in a way I don't think I've gotten to with friends. Not that I don't have good friends that I've Mm -hmm. never been sexual with like that. You know, I do have friends, but there's something very special about having known someone for 20 years as a lover. Yeah. Through all kinds of things. Here's another thing that can happen. Like if I if I am in a long-term relationship with a person and I have this other occasional lover and I'm struggling in my relationship with mm-hmm. my partner mm-hmm. and my occasional lover says, oh, honey, you got to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Like that's really not going to work in any relationship. Yeah. Exactly. I can hear that. Mm-hmm. I can't hear it from my partner. You're right. right? Yes. <laughs> so there's yes. a way that if you know someone very intimately, they they have a way to give you feedback mm-hmm. that you believe. <laughs> yeah. And they have helped me, and I've done that for other people, help them in critical places in their partnered relationship that I don't think you get to without that level of intimacy over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for sure. To have someone who knows you that well... Um, but not be the person that you're currently having a conflict with. Exactly. Is really useful. Correct. Um, and they could say, yeah, sometimes you do that and it's kind of 
distracted. It can, <laughs> that could be really destructive. Or, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that problem too. I just, you know, I don't live with you, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having people who can call you on your shit. It's great. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, this is weird. So this is going a little bit against, not against, but this is this is the other side of uh, an idea um, that we've had um, going on in a lot of the other interviews is that uh, polyamory isn't the solution to your relationship problems. Because oh yeah, because I think I think um, a big thing that I'm trying to do with this podcast is to tell the real story. Of polyamory, because the story that is so often told is the one that uh, that that publishers think will sell magazines, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The open up your marriage, right, 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 yeah, no. story, which is right, uh, mm-hmm. which is a story that that might sell because most people are in marriages, right, yes, right, and and so you know, there's a lot of people who could maybe identify with that, but most of the people in actual in the actual polyamory community are not coming. From Correct. that, Correct. really? No, and I I think of polyamory as an orientation, like being straight or gay or bi. And I know, and I and I think of it that way because I have realized my emotional responses are very different than most people's. Mm-hmm. I can have a partner, be in a bar, have a beautiful woman come on to a man I'm with, and all I feel is delight. <laughs> I, I I feel no. Jealousy, I don't feel any need to feel territorial. I'm just tickled. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not an emotional response that most people have. So I don't think of it as a thing that you can save a marriage with polyamory. And and Mm -hmm. I have met people like in in one uh, community I was in, a couple came in and Basically, they're a married couple. They have small children, and the woman in the relationship has another lover. She's fallen in love with someone else, and they're trying to accommodate that in their marriage and stay mm-hmm. together to raise the children. Mm-hmm. This is a very difficult setup, yeah, because it's not this. That's not <laughs> that's not how you come at it. Mm-hmm. And basically, she was already emotionally divested from her marriage and investing in another relationship. And he, her husband still loved her. And like, that's not polyamory to me. That's just a messed up marriage that Mm -hmm. was monogamous at the beginning. And now they're trying to figure out how to raise these kids together, Mm -hmm. which is not, I'm not saying that's a bad pursuit, you know, like Mm -hmm. they do need to figure that out, but kids need to get raised. (laughs) it, It doesn't make them polyamorous. Yeah. And that's not how people come to the community and become a vibrant part of the community, mm-hmm. right? It, it, yeah. it, I think of it as an orientation. You you realize that you can't make monogamy work in your life. You're not happy. You tend to cheat. You, you know, like <laughs> yeah. And I I I know early on when I was in my twenties, I agreed to monogamous commitments and then couldn't keep them mm-hmm. because in I don't have the same emotional reaction. Like mm-hmm. I, if I'm away. And I want to be intimate with someone. I don't feel like that impacts my relationship with my partner. Mm-hmm. And a lot of partners would disagree. So mm-hmm. at some point, I just decided, you know, I'm not going to date people who don't think like I do, who mm-hmm. aren't the same orientation as me, because it causes so much heartache. And I made that decision quite very, very 
early because mm. I was aware of polyamory and I think it has worked well for me. I've, I stick around with folks who are polyamorous and there's a big enough community now and they're easy enough to find because <laughs> of the internet and the, you know, the festivals. There's, there's almost always a poly presence at festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a level of acceptance. I can't imagine. Sometimes I, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd been born in the Victorian age. You know, I'd yeah. been stoned to death or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny when my wife and I met mm-hmm. at the poly meetup, we started talking and we were Skyping a little bit later, you know, to get to know each other. And then we went on, you know, the OkCupid was big then. Mm-hmm. And we went on OkCupid and we had a 99% match. <laughs> it was adorable. I was like, I don't, I've not ever seen anyone with a 99% match. But I felt like when I talked to her, she had the same emotional landscape that I do. Mm-hmm. That she didn't feel jealous if mm-hmm. her partner was with someone else. And it, that, that, opened up possibilities for a relationship between us that I've avoided in folks who really do struggle with jealous reactions. Mm-hmm. So. I told Joy about my own experiences with jealousy. I've been in a situation where a partner tried to shield me from jealousy by never talking about the positive parts of her other relationship. But that backfired tremendously because now the only information I was getting was just all of the negative information without any of the positive. And so I was left feeling really negative about this other partner of hers. There is a level of personal responsibility when you're in a small community to make sure you're not trashing someone because you really don't need to like if, if they're mm-hmm. a horrible person stop dating them right yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah and yeah. so i know i try to and people i'm in relationship try to be balanced and kind you know they could say well i know that i'm just having an issue with paul right now mm-hmm. um and he's a good guy in all these ways and i really love our relationship but i'm we're really hung up on this one thing yeah and to discuss people holistically and um be responsible for your characterizations of them. We got into a discussion about the different labels for types of polyamory, like kitchen table polyamory or parallel polyamory, and how they are often just inadequate to describe our full experiences. Yeah, that's interesting, the kitchen poly versus parallel poly. I guess it's funny because I don't think of it so much that way. And we do have different kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I um, I might be off at a professional conference and see someone I haven't seen and had sex with five years ago. And yeah. if we're both in, <laughs> we might do that. That's not someone I'm ever going to bring home. Right. right. So that, in a sense, would be the parallel poly, yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, we, you know, my wife has lovers come over and visit and stay for extended periods and that's more of the kitchen table and we do both you know, mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah yeah we have lovers we bring home and we have lovers we don't bring home and, yeah um there's a thing that i think i think i've noticed poly women if they're approaching a couple mm-hmm. there's a lot of non-verbals between the women mm-hmm. that I, I can tell if i'm talking to a couple i feel like i can tell really quickly if they're poly by how the woman reacts to me mm-hmm. and I can tell if I'm, if I'm with a partner and a, a woman approaches, I can tell what 
level of poly she is. Like I think women, when they're approaching, make clear their inclusiveness and their warmth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that folks who are not poly don't. There tends to be more <laughs> cattiness and more mm-hmm. funny looks and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, nonverbal signals of yeah. stay away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't, cool. I don't think it's hard to identify polyphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it might, might be harder for me as a guy, I think. It is. I think it's very different. I think it is different. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm not sure that's true. You know, um. M- maybe guys would. Yeah, yeah I, I've, um, our partner, I need to have a word for him if I'm not going to use his name. <laughs> <laughs> your your uh, partner. Uh, my partner. Our partner. We'll, we'll go male, our male partner. Yeah. Our, our partner. S- talks about how the men we are with respond to him and how much information he gets from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I'm, if I'm at an event and some, uh, a man's interested in me when he meets Steven, Steven can tell a lot about where he this is, is. This is true. And, yeah. and how, if, if the man seems interested in Steven or asks a follow-up question or if, you know, engages him in a meaningful conversation or just kind of ignores him and goes back to chatting me up. Yes. Right. So yeah, you can, sure. you can get that same kind of information. Um, and I, and that's why part of why I think it's an orientation. I mean, there's just a, a pull for people who are monogamously minded to be very focused on one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they don't have, they don't have the same sort of inclusive instincts about meeting someone and in, getting to know anyone they might be attached to. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, you uh, you came out as Polly, obviously. Yes. Uh, so, um, who did like? Are I assume that you're out to your parents, yes. or, like, and all that? How, how did that happen? How did they feel? How did that happen? Well, um, I think. Well, let's see. My father died many years ago. Okay. And he died before I figured any of this out, so he okay. wasn't in the picture. Okay. But at one point, when my son was a baby, my mom said. I'm sick of getting left out of your life because you think I can't handle your friends. And I thought, all righty then. <laughs> so I feel like there was a, early on, I was kind of shielding my family from it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, cause I didn't, I just didn't want to upset them. Yeah. And, I'm, but it was the presence of this little baby that my mom wanted to be around. And, she, and so yeah. I wasn't having her over if, if I had a lover from out of town visiting mm-hmm. and, she didn't like being excluded. So I started talking to her about it. I gave her Deborah Annapol's book. Um, what is the name of that book? Bouquet of Lovers? Is that the name of it? Uh, uh, anyway, it was, you know, it was. <laughs> we'll look it up and put it in the show 20 some years ago, and the book was probably written 30 years ago. But I gave her a book about polyamory uh-huh. that is, you know, um, not explicit or mm-hmm. prurient. It's just, you know, matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And I remember she responded. Her response was, one relationship is so tricky. I don't know why you would want to try more than one. And she said, I really don't care. She said, I just want you to be happy. And I said, well, I, this is, this is how I am. And she said, that's fine. So she's accommodated everything. And I think a part of it is the loosening up of religious values. Like my mother was raised Catholic mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a girl getting pregnant in high school was a, was a, shocking and embarrassing thing and by the time Mm -hmm. by the time i became an adult things were much looser and you could get away with i mean i took i when my son was small i was living with a man and 
he also had a biological father that I was close to and involved with. And I took them both to Thanksgiving with mm-hmm. the whole family. So there I am with this infant and two men. <laughs> and it's just funny because the relatives came over and they look and they shrug and nobody asks questions. Like nobody <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table, nobody says, what is going on over there? And, you know, they ask questions quietly, you know, of each other behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. it really just wasn't that tricky because it was, you know, my mother acted like everything was fine. And if everybody's happy, nobody asks any questions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but my extended family has found out more and more over the years. And uh-huh. well, at this point, both my partners have been to our family reunion with us. Mm-hmm. You know, So uh, it's the kids and me and whoever I'm with. And people have just gotten used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know for sure that in my family and in my partner's families, there have been more hurt feelings over not talking about it than talking about it. Families are, they want mm-hmm. to know what's going on for us. And our families are not burdened with excessive religious dogma. So that is how it rolls. Yeah. And they just mostly want to know that we're happy and content and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in retrospect, withholding has, if I did it all over again, I would withhold less from my family. Mm-hmm. Than I did. Yeah. Because they, as it turns out, could handle more than I thought they could. And I think that's, I think that's true in so many ways. When I was a high school student, I had a a dear friend who was gay Mm -hmm. and his father found out that he was dating men Mm -hmm. and threw him out of the house and don't come back till you're not gay, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And, and so that happened when he was in high school. And then by the time he graduated from college, his father was taking pictures of Mike in his cap and gown with his arm around his boyfriend. I mean, that's like, that's how far they came. Yeah. And I think there is a sense, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm making this up, but <laughs> I think baby boomers in raising their own kids mm-hmm. just, uh, have, have let go of some of the worry about what other people think and the stigma of my child has to turn out societally proper in order for everything to be okay. People tolerate changes mm-hmm. in gender they tolerate people being gay and mm-hmm. the 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 leap to polyamory is just not that great <laughs> yeah we're riding on the coattails of the harder <laughs> of the harder coming out projects for sure for sure I, I feel like for definitely for some boomers that is definitely true and for others perhaps not maybe not yeah well and i think i think maybe the better question is not boomers it's really religious yeah. dogma it's, it might it might be it's who's going to hell and who's going to heaven and you know we don't want our children to go to hell and so we got to be tough on them to i don't know maybe that's yeah. the logic <laughs> yeah i don't know the it, it's it's surprising to me how how much like almost every interview almost every interview has included religion as like religion has been a specter mm-hmm. <laughs> basically it's just religion enters the conversation mm-hmm. at some point um most of them have been uh along the story uh, i mean uh, with the americans uh, i guess you in particular in, yeah. yeah yeah included the, um they have um there's a lot of stories of oh i was raised fill in know, the blank uh, yeah. f- fill in the blank and i I say Americans. There's also one. You know, people from Windsor where I have said I was raised Catholic mm-hmm. and things like that as well. Um, now that I think about it, and yeah, and it's just really, um, really interesting to me because, like, because polyamory is not necessarily a rejection of any particular religion, but it is a rejection of 
monogamy in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you have to be at least comfortable enough rejecting this one thing that has been that is is not officially a pillar in. Well, there is that commandment. <laughs> well, thou well, shalt not commit adultery. There's a, that <laughs> thou shalt not commit adultery. That's true, but but at the same time, right? The, like the. the I mean, the, the prophet said multiple wives and, and right, all this right, sort of stuff is, is a thing. Like, there's been at least one interview who, I think uh, there's a few interviews where it's like, yeah, it was really interesting to me how the prophet said multiple wives. And it's just like, to, where to me, it's just like, that's squicky, but for other reasons. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, yeah, but that's property is not a way of treating people. Right, right. But, yes. um, but yeah, it's just, just an, an interesting. But it is hard to argue that yeah. Christianity in general cannot and would not and has never accepted anything but monogamy. That's like, true. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. say that. You just yeah. can't say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not true. Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah, exactly. So it's the sort of thing where like, you know, the certainly monogamy is built into a lot of the traditional branches of Christianity now, but that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's certainly with Islam and stuff like that, there's other religions where, you know, it's where, where monogamy is the law of the land here, but it's not in other places. And so, uh, yeah, just, just an mm-hmm. interesting thing. But, but yeah, the, the, then there's the, the issue of treating women as property and things mm-hmm. like that. that which, is, oh, which is also problematic. <laughs> Pro- problematic. I feel uh, under, underplays it by at least a few octaves <laughs> or something, but, <coughs> but <Sure>. yeah. <laughs> A thing that I've been asking everyone uh-huh. um, is, uh, do you have a song or some other media that relates to non-monogamy that you would like to share? Could be a favorite one or um, or something like that. Now, I don't know if I, I don't think I did ask you that. I've, no. Because in specifically in pop music, there's like nothing. A, 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 yeah. a lot of the time, you know, like so many songs are like, I mean, there's, there's literally a song called you're the one that I want. Right. Like, right. Right. You know, yes. So they many do so- tend to be very monogamously minded. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I, I, the only thing that came to mind was the book six dinner Sid. And there's also another book uh, in the piggy and elephant series. Okay. About, I think it's, is it elephant's new friend or something? Okay. And it's about how, they're best friends, and then one of them gets another friend. Okay. So when I was raising my kids, I always liked the things that didn't portray straight up monogamy as the only way to be. Sure. And you know, there were a lot of books about yeah, gay and lesbian I, I families. Yeah, I know. Well. You've got it. You've got this excellent bookcase that I've been staring at. It's <laughs> uh, full of For sure. fascinating books. Um, For but sure. yeah, and then Six Dinner Sid is right there. I see that. Yeah, and you know, who's the author for Six Dinner Sid? Just so that we can. <laughs> It's it it's right there. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, oh yeah, there it you is. You got it. Okay. It's, it. it's uh, Inga Moore by Inga Moore, mm-hmm. and it's got mm-hmm. this beautiful yeah. black cat on the front. Mm-hmm. And he needs six dinners because that is how he is oriented. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's those kinds of things that have Perfect. been very sweet through the years. And then of course there's um, Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll put. Links in the show notes. Yeah, there you the, go. The classic podcast way of doing things, which mm-hmm. I still have to learn exactly. Yeah, and of course, I are. like everything about bonobos. I just yeah, yeah, bonobos are all over here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we have, we have relatives and, and I, and I kind of think of it as like, what, what tradition do we want to follow? Chimps have a lot of really awful mm-hmm. habits. Infanticide, they can be abusive to each other. And the bonobos have much less of that. And they're much more sexualized. Like, so it does sometimes feel to me like we're either going to go, mm-hmm. either go war or you can go love. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We should. I, I prefer the bonobo <laughs> attitude. And I don't know if it's bonobo or bon. Bonobo, bonobo is bonobo. how I usually hear it pronounced. Right, but right. I, I, th- I think I've mostly read it, so I yeah, don't know. Right, I have that problem too. I read things and then I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> All right. Well, and then I love talking about sometime when you do it about um, raising children in polyamorous households. That is another one of my very, very favorite topics. Yeah, we will definitely get to that because at some point. it, and that is if, when when I if I tell people at a an event that I'm polyamorous and I have children, that is the first thing they want to know. What about the children? Yeah, and mm-hmm. they're okay. Did you turn out okay? <laughs> like if you didn't, it wasn't the it wasn't the polyamory. Yeah, listeners, he said, "I hope so," and uh, and he looked like he was half joking, but he's also half asleep. So, <laughs> what can he do? Right. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, thank you so much for coming on this polyamorous life and talking to me. Thank this you for having me. This is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Okay. You've been listening to This Polyamorous Life, sponsored by Windsor Polyamory. Please like, rate, and review us uh, at the usual places, your iTunes, Spotify's, what have you. If you are listening and on Twitter, let me know. I'm at Life Polyamorous. To help out the show financially, go to patreon.com slash thispolyamorouslife. It really will help. Everyone who donates, no matter how small, will get their name in the podcast. This show was put together by me, Reg Robson, with some editing help from Aaron Christmas. A big thanks goes to Joy for coming on the show this week. I'll be back with another conversation for you in seven days. We are preparing for the Windsor Pride Fest Parade. I'm here at the corner of Ottawa and Argyle in Windsor, Ontario. And we are with Windsor Polyamory. And we're going to have an awful lot of fun in this parade. What do you find valuable about Windsor Polyamory? It's a relaxed group of people who are enjoying each other's company and happen to have something in common. The thing that I love about Windsor Polyamory from the start, the first event that I came to, people are warm, welcoming, open, and accepting, and fun. Um, I think the entire Windsor Polyamory community is very dedicated to an authentic expression of self and to growing and learning more about each other in the world, and I think that's really valuable. Find Windsor Polyamory at windsorpolyamory.wordpress.com.